Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. We begin with Apple still dealing with the fallout from China's plans to expand its iPhone ban. The company's shares have dropped more than 6% over the past two days, wiping out $190 billion in value. That came after reports China plans to go beyond banning iPhones for government workers to include employees of state-owned companies. All this just days before Apple's latest product launch. That's coming up on Tuesday as the iPhone maker looks to reignite slowing smartphone sales. Alec Young is MapSignal's chief investment strategist. He says there's a broader threat spooking investors. There's no question that part of the negative inferences that are swirling around right now is this idea that Apple gets caught up in a nationalist rivalry between the U.S. and China. Um, If iPhones, for example, were to become stigmatized throughout Chinese society over the next few months to the point that it depressed demand, those types of narratives um, inevitably are popping into investors' minds right now. Alec Young of MapSignal says so far the ban only affects a little more than 1% of iPhone units in China and checking shares of Apple this morning, they are little changed. And that's not the only smartphone news coming out of Asia, Nathan. The U.S. government has begun an official probe into an advanced made-in-China chip in Huawei's latest smartphone. The Commerce Department says it's working to get more information on a purported 7-nanometer processor discovered in the Mate 60 Pro. The chip is made by China's Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corporation, which, like Huawei, is blacklisted in the U.S. The Biden administration is trying to limit sales of advanced semiconductors to China, and this could prompt the tightening or expanding of existing restrictions. Well, Karen, U.S.-China relations do remain chilly as President Biden heads to the G20 summit in India to meet with world leaders. One of the leaders he won't meet with is Chinese Vice Premier Li Qiang, who is attending the G20 in place of China's President Xi Jinping. She won't be there. Neither will Russian President Vladimir Putin. Instead, the Chinese president is hosting the leaders of two heavily indebted nations next week, the presidents of Zambia and Venezuela. Well, Nathan, joining President Biden in New Delhi, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. She spoke ahead of the summit, saying she's been surprised by the strength of global growth. And Yellen also discussed China's recent economic challenges. So, um, see China's growth as slowing over time. That said, China has quite a bit of policy space to address these challenges. So, we're monitoring the situation. Um, I don't see it as having very significant direct impact on the United States. 
Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen also pledged further financial assistance for Ukraine and says the U.S. will look to strengthen ties with India. Yellen will join President Biden at a meeting with Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi today. Well, meanwhile, back at home, Karen, we're monitoring Fed speak for clues about the path of interest rates. In Florida yesterday, Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostic said rate hikes need time to work their way through the economy. What I'm, I'm grateful to say is that we've seen inflation come down. I feel like we're in restrictive space now. And now that we just need to let that restriction play out and let, let it bring inflation, continue to bring inflation down to get back into the range of our target. In addition to Rafael Bostic, we heard exclusively from New York Fed President John Williams, who discussed monetary policy with Bloomberg's Michael McKee. You know, things are moving in the right direction. We've got policy in a good place, but we're going to need to continue to be data dependent, watch watch the developments and, and assess what we need to do. And Fed officials will get a key piece of data next week with the August Consumer Price Index on Wednesday. Listen to our full conversation with New York Fed President John Williams on the Bloomberg Talks podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, as the U.S. deals with unprecedented temperatures this summer, Nathan, we're following the heat crisis in the South. It's the U.S. declared a power emergency in Texas, and Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has the story. The declaration is an attempt to help keep power on amidst the brutal heat wave this week. It will allow the grid operator to waive some air pollution limits so generators can produce more power. The Energy Department says the expected load stress caused by the current extreme heat event threatens to cause loss of power to homes and local businesses in areas that might be affected by curtailments, presenting a risk to public health and safety. The declaration is in effect until 9 local time tonight. I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Radio. Okay, Ed, thanks. On Wall Street, Goldman Sachs may be planning to dismiss underperforming workers as soon as next uh, month. That's according to the Financial Times, which says it's part of the bank's annual staff evaluation. The sources say reductions will be at the lower end of Goldman's usual range of 1% to 5% workforce cuts. Well, speaking of Goldman, Nathan, the bank's CEO, David Solomon, is responding to recent negative news coverage of his leadership style and management of the firm. In a conversation with CNBC, the Goldman CEO said he does not recognize the caricature that's been painted of him in the press. A handful of Goldman partners have left the firm over the past months, with at least five exiting in one week alone this summer. Solomon called the volume of partner exits absolutely typical. And time now for a look at some of the other stories making news around the world. For that, we're joined by Bloomberg's Amy Morris. Amy, good morning. Good morning, Karen. About two out of every three Democratic voters say they'd rather see a different nominee than President Biden. This new CNN poll says 67 percent of left-leaning voters would like the party to nominate someone else. That's up from 54 percent in March. FBI Director Christopher Wray sounded off on a number of issues during an event called Spy Chat at the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., Ray spoke about the future of the FBI's cyber defense capabilities. If you look at our exposure as a country, something like 80% of our critical infrastructure is in the hands of the private sector. It's our critical infrastructure the bad guys are after. FBI Director Christopher Wray says tech companies should try collaborating more with the federal government on security matters. The dissent is growing louder to Senator Tommy Tuberville's blockade of military promotions over a Pentagon policy allowing travel for military members seeking abortions or other reproductive health care. Bloomberg's Nancy Lyons has the very latest. Senator Tommy Tuberville is brushing off criticisms over his hold on roughly 300 military promotions. They're already doing the job. 
It's just they've got interim on their name. There's no threat to readiness. But retired Major General Arnold Panaro tells Bloomberg Sound on Tuberville, who once coached Auburn football, is playing into the hands of the opponent. If his first-string quarterback was ready to play, he would not put his first-string quarterback in against Alabama. Well, that's what we're doing right now vis-a-vis -vis China, North Korea, and Iran. In Washington, Nancy Lyons, Bloomberg Radio. The new head of the CDC says COVID-19 is here to stay. Dr. Mandy Cohen recommends masking, social distancing, and other measures and says a new booster will be available as soon as next week. Now, a bill to ban federal mask mandates is coming up short in the Senate. Ohio Republican J.D. Vance argues that children can't go through another mask mandate. We know that a generation of school children have suffered significant speech and developmental disabilities because this this country panicked instead of using its brain and forced toddlers and small children to wear masks. Vance attempted to pass that bill by unanimous consent, but the move was blocked by Massachusetts Democrat Ed Markey. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Amy Morris. This is Bloomberg. Karen. All right, Amy, thank you. It's time now for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Here's John Stashauer. John. Karen, opening night of the NFL, the Lions visiting the Chiefs, whose fans celebrated last year's Super Bowl victory. Detroit finished last season strong, had a 91-yard touchdown drive, took the lead in the first quarter, trailed at the half. The game turned in the third quarter. Mahomes out of the gun. He's got it, wants to throw. Mahomes back, throws. It is incomplete. Picked off. Picked off by the Lions. Brian Branch with it left side. He's going, baby. He's going to the house. Deflected in the air, Branch ran under it, and he took it all the way back. Lions Radio had the call. Brian Branch, a rookie, playing his first game when David Montgomery scored midway through the fourth quarter. Detroit topped Kansas City in an upset 21-20. The Chiefs had won their last eight season openers. Latest NFL player to get a mega contract, Cincinnati quarterback Joe Burrow on the eve of week one. Five years, $275 million, so $55 million a year with $219 million guaranteed. He's a, an Ohio native and has resurrected the Bengals team. U.S. Open, Coco Goff into the women's singles final. She blew six match points, but pulled out a victory over Carolina Muhova. 6-4, 7-5. Coco, 17-1 this summer on hard courts. And in the final, she'll play Arena Sabalenka. She lost the first set to Madison Keys at Love, but then won the second and third sets, both in tiebreakers. John Stanshower, Bloomberg Sports. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
From coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. What's good for the economy apparently is bad for the market. Strong economic data spooked investors this week with speculation that... Rates may need to stay higher for longer. Further softening in the U.S. economy leaves the path of rate hikes uncertain. Between now and the next Fed meeting, we'll get more data as well as more Fed speak. And we're getting some of that now in an exclusive conversation between Bloomberg's Michael McKee and New York Fed President John Williams. They spoke at a moderated discussion at the Bloomberg Market Forum. Let's go to that conversation. Here's how I see things now. Uh, uh, you know, we're obviously always focused on our dual mandate, maximum employment, price stability. Inflation is far too high. But that said, inflation is moving in the right direction. We're seeing the imbalances in the labor market, which were really quite uh, pronounced last year. They've been closing. Job, job openings have been coming down. Um, the quit rates coming down. The hiring rate in the, in, the, in the market's coming down. So we're seeing movement in the right direction direction of bringing supply and demand back into balance, seeing inflation come back towards our 2% long-run goal. Uh, and we've done a lot. I think everyone knows, you know, here in this room, you know, we've raised rates significantly over the last year and a, and a half or so, uh, and we've gotten into a restrictive stance. So my answer to the question is right now, I think we've gotten monetary policy in a, a very good place in terms of we have a restrictive stance of policy. It is doing having the desired effects of bringing demand and supply more into balance. We're seeing inflation move in the right direction, uh, but we'll have to watch the uh, going forward. We'll have to keep watching the data, carefully analyzing all of that, and really asking the, ourselves the question, is this sufficiently restrictive? Do we need to maybe uh, raise rates again to, to make sure that we're keeping that uh, steady progress in terms of getting imbalances, you know, shrink imbalances in the labor market and bring inflation back down. So right now, I think, you know, things are moving in the right direction. We've got policy in a good place, but we're going to need to continue to be data dependent, watch watch the developments and, and assess what we need to do. How do you know you're restrictive? What metric do you use? Let's see how long it take to get to R star. Okay, so uh, the you know I think there's a it's there's no right answer to that question. I think you know the way I think about it is really in terms of real interest rates, that's the Fed funds rate, or more broadly, you know uh, you know Treasury yields relative to expected inflation. So you know depending on how you measure it, you look at it. Real rates are you know well above um, zero, uh, you know moving you know somewhere between one and two percent, and that seems to be above typical estimates of the long-run neutral uh, real interest rate. And I think the other way you see it is a little bit of in what we're seeing in the economy, right? So we are seeing demand in, in the labor market come down according to a lot of different measures. We are seeing other uh, kind of signs that the economy is moving, uh, imbalances in the economy are coming down. So I think the two things, one is kind of like where's R versus R star? That's one way to think of it. But the other is what are we seeing happening uh, in the economy? Now there's a second test there. There's kind of the are we restrictive? And the second is 
are we are we in sufficiently restrictive to really make sure that we're bringing inflation sustainably down to two percent and getting the job done? So you know, I have to. I think it's pretty clear we're restrictive. It's still an open question as we go forward. Have we have we got uh, sufficiently restrictive to achieve that? We'll uh, we'll get to our star when we get to um, uh, Tom called it the eco babble part of our uh, conversation here. Uh, but first, you have raised rates 11 times. You've gone up to 5.5% at top range. But unemployment remains extraordinarily low, and we are seeing signs of the economy accelerating now. So do you really think you're sufficiently restrictive? Well, you know, I think, first of all, the unemployment rate has been relatively steady over the last year or so. It's, it's, it's fluctuated between 34 and 3.8% where it is today. And I I think that it's a sign that, well, clearly we're not moving, you know, significantly to more imbalance and unemployment even lower. And normally, have we seen the clear signs of unemployment moving, you know, significantly up? But I do think it's a unique time, right? Because if you look at the unemployment rate, it seemed to kind of get to a, a minimum value of around 3.4 percent, kind of get there. But then these other indicators have been shifting. So I think what we've seen in the labor market is demand exceeds supply. It's not showing up as much in the unemployment rate continuing to go down, but it's showing up in these other things like job vacancies, quit rates, things like that. So to me, the thing. I'm focused on is really how are we seeing the demand indicators, supply indicators move together. Um, I would expect the unemployment rate to, to edge up over the next year somewhat. Uh, but again, I you know I, I see positive signs in the sense that the indicators of demand and supply are moving in the right direction. The unemployment rate hasn't moved, moved as much. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed at 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast-to-coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.